strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I uh, want to talk, as we begin the second hour of the show, we're going to talk about the Dreamers. And there's a little bit here that is confusing to me, and I'll explain why. But the headline is, Biden White House preparing to take executive action to protect DACA Dreamers. Well, that was there's a couple of things about this. Number one, the problem with DACA and the DREAM Act has been that it was an executive order. It's not a law. It's not a piece of legislation. If we are going to protect people, they need to be protected by legislation. It needs to be a piece of legislation that protects people. I will tell you, um, I guess it's a mixed bag for some. I think it makes perfect sense in my head. Um, I understand the plight of the dreamers and actually sympathize with them. They were brought here as children and no fault of their own, but it is the fault of their parents doing it the wrong way. That doesn't mean I'm heartless to their plight, and we have to protect the dreamers. In some way, I believe we are going to. There is no way in the America that we live in that we are going to take children that are now adults that have lived here and grown up in American schools and for all intents and purposes are – um, Americans and tell them that they are not entitled to be Americans. But we are wrestling with some of the other finer points, which I differ from what the dreamers want themselves. Um, the in-state tuition thing, the proposition that's on the ballot. I have an issue with that and I have this issue with it. And I hope it doesn't sound heartless because I promise you it isn't. But if these families that came here to the country illegally with their children were told when they entered the country, here's the deal. You are not going to get in-state tuition if your children grow up and want to go to college. You're going to have to pay out-of-state tuition wherever you live because that's got to be a penalty when you have circumvented the law to raise your children in an American classroom and with an American way of life. And so live the American dream. We're going to let you do it. But the price your family will pay. Now, their children – will be entitled to in-state tuition, but they won't. There isn't a family that wouldn't sign on for that deal in a heartbeat. How do you look at the families that have waited extended periods of time to do it the right way? How do you look at them and say, these children get the exact same thing as your children? it's It's not fair. It's not the right thing to do. That's in my mind. That's how I feel about it. But we have to protect the dreamers. I believe that that has we should get this fixed. The dreamers are the shining example of a broken system. We talk about what's happening at the border and need to secure the border. All of that is true. But the aftermath and the fallout, the dreamers are a shining example of why the system needs to be fixed. Because the other big problem I have with this is the Biden administration – is going to do something with an executive order to protect the dreamers. And he has created the next generation of dreamers. Two million people have come to this country in a year illegally. Two million encounters at the border. How many people what they call gotaways? How many people they didn't catch? They have made this situation so much worse, and so the Biden administration now is saying we're going to protect these kids. Great. Again, the political argument, and I have it within my political party and with others as well, um, the fact that it is – I think – I believe it's un-American that you've had kids that were raised here. They don't know any other country. They are are Americans in their own hearts, and so we're going to tell them that they're not Americans. Well, they are – I mean that for – I just think that we've got to protect them. That we we made the mistake, you and I as citizens of this country, by not shutting down that border, 
by not making sure we had an orderly system where people had to do it the right way or deporting people much, much sooner and sending them back to their countries to grow up in the country they were from until they came to America the right way, the legal way. Us not doing that. We have allowed people to stay, and that's the problem, the frustration I've had with the border is that we ignored the border for many, many, many years, and then all of a sudden it became an issue, and then this fight broke out. We as voters have to take some responsibility that we've elected people that have turned their backs on this issue. They have turned their backs on this issue, and what is happening now, it's worse than it's ever been at the border, and we have created the next generation. So this president may not deal with it. The next president may not deal with it, but I guarantee you the president after that will. We are going to have presidents down the road have to deal with the generation of dreamers that are created right now. I can understand someone's plight. I can sympathize with someone's situation, but you have to do things the right way. And if we have people that believe that they are invited to this country, and that's what the vast majority of the people that are crossing the border illegally are saying, is that they believe that the border is open and they've been invited by the Biden administration to come anyway and they're going to be allowed to stay. We have done nothing to send a message to the contrary. That's the problem. The lip service about the border and the border is secure and all the other stuff we hear, we know that that's all false. It's a false narrative. Until we change that, until we change the narrative, so the world sees we are serious about controlling our border to the south. Shouldn't we be embarrassed as a country? Shouldn't Americans be embarrassed that the uh, southern border of the United States is the most dangerous land crossing in the world? With everything else, I've used this example so many times. Do you remember the, the, the stories when ISIS reared its ugly head at the very beginning of ISIS, the uprising of ISIS? They controlled the border, at least almost all of it, but most of it for sure, between Syria and Iraq. And it was, you know, the war torn country, the civil war that was going on in Syria. Um, ISIS was committing acts of horror against other Muslims in northern Iraq, and they were destroying religious landmarks and relics and all these other things. And the border was as hazardous a place as could be because it was controlled by ISIS. The southern border of the United States has been deemed the most dangerous land crossing on the planet. And we all should be embarrassed by that. Um, So what the president wants to do with the dreamers is something that needs to happen, I would say to you, um, that this should have been resolved a long time ago. Um, We should have a plan where the dreamers are protected legislatively, but we should also have a plan that shows the world and Americans especially, but the world that we will not have another generation that we have to deal with this way. There will not be another generation of children that grow up in this country that have no status because their parents came illegally and stayed. And then when those children get to be adults, those children stand up and say, hey, wait a minute, I had nothing to do with this. My parents brought me here, uh, not against my will, but I had no say in it. So I don't remember the country I came from. And this is the only place I know. I was raised an American. I want to be an American. And it's coming. It's coming because of what's happening right now. So this president can piggyback on what the former president, his former boss, Barack Obama, did with the DREAM Act. Here we are, two presidents later, still dealing with dreamers. What do you think is going to happen with this generation? And why is it such a bad thing as an American for me to say it needs to stop? 
We need an orderly way for good people to come here. But that doesn't mean you get to break our laws to do it and then make demands a decade or two decades later. It's just not the right thing to do for anybody involved, and they're not doing anything to stop it, and it's it's so frustrating. I don't know if you can hear the frustration in my voice. I'm just it, – it, I'm so tired of the, the, the rhetoric on one side or the other that somehow if you're – for border security in an orderly fashion for immigration, you're somehow xenophobic or racist or I'm none of those things. But we have to have a better system, and the dreamers are proof of it. All right. Uh, why should Arizona voters pay attention to school board races? I've got answers for you coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time. The question being asked, this is a great story that's up at uh, KTAR.com, written by Griselda Satino. It is, why should voters pay attention to school board candidates? James Bryce, president-elect of the Arizona School Board Association, did an interview with uh, KTAR News, and he says, primarily as a school board member, your main duty is setting policy and fiscal oversight. And I will tell you that I one of the the silver linings on the dark cloud of what happened with education and distance learning during COVID is that parents became aware of exactly what was going on in classrooms. And when parents disagreed or asked questions, the way they were treated is what triggered a lot of what's happening. Um, I will tell you that um, we have to take ownership. We have to take ownership of things. We make assumptions. Uh, I was one of the people that made assumptions as well. I made assumptions when I was younger, uh, years ago. We make assumptions that everybody in this country uh, honors veterans, and uh, that's both sides of the political aisle. It's one of the things that we all agree on. We all agree that the men and women that serve in the United States military, and it wasn't always this way, but it is a huge feeling of support by, I'd say, 90 to 95 percent of Americans believe that even you may not like the orders they are given. You may not like the people that give the orders, but we respect and honor the men and women who follow those orders, wear the uniform, swear the oath, and defend America. So we just figure when they become veterans, they're taken care of, that the VA takes very good care of them. And we found out that that wasn't always the case. And then America was outraged and changes were made and and things are better. I wouldn't say they're perfect. I wouldn't even say they're great, but they are much better because America paid attention. We are seeing the same thing now. We made the assumption that the way schools were in the 70s and 80s when we were kids is the way schools are now. And I would say there are some really good, I would say great school districts. There's no doubt about it. There are phenomenal teachers out there. There are some school boards that are on the side of the parents and serve the parents and the students and do exactly what we'd expect a school district to do. But there are some that don't. There are some school districts that are self-serving, that are activists, that take their children as their own and not yours, that it is they are the communities to raise, and that the parents are a part of what education is supposed to be, but they're not the primary in what education is supposed to be. And they treat parents like dirt, and it's been well documented. And when parents – you want to turn a parent into an activist, do something to their child. And we're seeing it across uh, Arizona and the country. 
Scottsdale Unified School District is going to have big changes. Peoria, I was in an event out in Peoria. People turned out for a debate for school boards, and it was just the Republican candidates that showed up, but people wanted to hear what they had to say. These are parents. These are mothers uh, in this case, but these are parents that are saying something has to be done and nobody else is doing it, so I'm going to. So I would say to you that of all the things that people do on a ballot in the past, we don't know who the heck is running for school board because it's a nonpartisan race. So you're not hearing R or D uh, or independent. You're just hearing that they're running. And so it's the most, uh, I guess, uninformed part of the electorate would be school boards and judges. The other ones, most of us don't go to a courtroom. So we don't know what the judges are up to. But that's changing. And I think it's a valuable change. It's going to change the direction because you do choose curriculum. You do spend the money and oversee finances. And you're going to have you're going to have a say in not just how your children are educated, but how all the children in your district are educated. They are all important races. And I think that the voices have to be heard. Even if you don't agree with the voices, if you're on that school board, you have to hear the voices. And for a while, they were running autonomously and they didn't want to be questioned. And I think that's changing, and I'm glad that it's changing. We're going to talk about ballots coming up in a few moments. Um, the, an Arizona company makes ballots for 23 states. We're going to talk election integrity from this company's perspective, and it's a Phoenix-based company. It's coming your way in just a few moments. Arizona Votes, Election Day 2022, with Mike Broomhead. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, we do have to talk about the elections. They are coming at us very, very quickly. This weekend, we are doing a show. At, I'm doing some TV shows over at AZTV7 and have been for quite a while. They're called Before You Vote. And uh, the last one was very well received. It was the gubernatorial race. We were able to do a sit-down interview with Carrie Lake and another segment with Katie Hobbs. They were not together, but they but perspectives on the race. And I, I run those shows are different than what I do here. What I do here is I do some obviously all opinion, uh, do some pushback when I have guests on I disagree with. Um, in these interviews, I'm not. I'm asking candidates broad questions and allowing people to hear what they believe. I don't push back at all, but I want people to hear from candidates. This week on those television shows, we are doing the 10 ballot propositions that are on. We had the executive director on from the uh, the uh, Clean Elections, the Citizens Clean Elections, Elections Commission. Uh, his name is Tom Collins, of all things. And uh, um, so we're talking about ballot props and what they mean if they pass and so to, for people to be informed voters. But one of the things that we have to discuss because it's still a thing and I wish it wasn't is the election integrity issue. It is being brought up in all of these races because all, so many of the Trump endorsed candidates – are the ones that won the primary. So it is being used, and I'm not saying this is good or bad. This is an observation, not a criticism. Don't get me the wrong way. It is being used as a political tool for the Democrats running against Republicans, calling them out for questioning the veracity of the election in 2020. I don't like the audit. Don't like the way it was done. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't think there should have been an audit. I think an audit was necessary. I think audits are always going to be necessary, whether it's elections or otherwise, to make sure we're doing the best we can. I think that's a pragmatic way to look at things. But it has been so politicized and so weaponized now that it's hard to get people on the same page, even if they agree intellectually that something needs to be looked at. The reason behind it, it gets all blown out of proportion. So um, I, I'm, I'm – 
I really am going way too long with this, this part of it. But this is the reason why I'm talking about this. And I didn't know this company existed. And I really wish I did. I feel horrible that I didn't know more about this company. But there is a company in Phoenix that uh, run back election services that serves 23 states. And so they did news coverage of this. This is from an Arizona Republic story. But there was a news story about this yesterday in which they invited the media to come down to see exactly how your ballots are made. And if you look back at the audit, um, it was – and well, I will tell you from my perspective, and a lot of you are going to disagree with this. I think from the leadership point of view, it was well-intentioned in this. They wanted to find out if the election was stolen. Now, many of them believed it was, but they really were looking for evidence. They weren't on a witch hunt in their minds, but they hired a company that I think was completely inept. And I think that they were the ones that made a mockery of, of the the audit, the security issues from day one, the fact that they were looking for bamboo and ballots because in China they make their ballots with bamboo in the paper and that kind of nonsense, running them through um, black lights or whatever they were doing with them to see if there were watermarks on ballots and all this other stuff. And it was it, that's the stuff that made people roll their eyes about this. So there's a story about this company. That makes the ballots here in Phoenix. First of all, I think it's kind of cool that the ballots are made here. And we should all feel, and when I say all, you're never going to get 100%. People should feel confident that when they go to the polls or they mail in their ballot, that A, their ballot is going to be counted and everybody's is going to be counted fairly. That's all anybody wants. How do we get there? And the reason why I ask about this is because... There are ballot initiatives that are propositions on the ballot. One of them has to do with how you vote by mail. And it says, you know, if you go into and I go in, I go to the polls. You go to the polls and you present your identification, your voter ID card and a picture ID, whatever. Um, You identify who you are. You confirm who you are. They print your ballot, at least in Maricopa County. It's printed there for you. And then you go and cast your vote. So – What they want to do with the ballot initiative is say you should at least have to do some of that to mail your ballot in. If you're going to take advantage of mailing your ballot in, you should have to do more than just sign the envelope, that there should be some identification, whether it's your driver's license number or it's your Social Security number. It's one more level of security. And by the way, as far as having a picture of an ID card in this proposition, it says that if you can't afford an ID, not a driver's license, an ID to vote. A state-issued identification card. You can get one for free. So the money aspect is taken out of it. Those, to me, are practical, pragmatic ways of improving election security. It doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist, and people say there isn't widespread fraud, so we don't really need this. There's a lot of things. I've never had my identity stolen, but I have identity protection. You know, it's because we know it's a thing. It's out there. It's one more level of protection. So the political argument back and forth really gets to me on this. So you got this company that said, come on in. And it was a great news story. I believe it was on Fox 10 yesterday. Um, Pretty great news story that where they walked in, they interviewed some of the employees. They showed the machines that were printing off the ballots. And uh, it was more the the owner of the company was saying, listen, we we, integrity matters to us. It takes a long time to get this right. And we make sure it's right. And we want this to be right. We want our elections to be fair. And I got to tell you, a story like that is necessary. 
When it becomes a problem is the politics of it, the politics of saying you wanted an audit or you believe the election was stolen. Therefore, you're a conspiracy theorist and you're crazy. Well, let's be fair. You have to be fair in this. Hillary Clinton still says the election was stolen from her. And when she says it, there is still a large number of people in her party that believe her. And you will get the yeah, but from them. And I said, well, Hillary Clinton wrote a book about having an election stolen from her. Yeah, but she had evidence of this or but no, no, she had no more evidence than anybody else did about stolen elections. So Democrats and Republicans have been complaining about election integrity. So instead of us using it as a political weapon, which all is fair in love and war, especially when you're running for office. So I don't begrudge somebody an edge in you know saying my candidate did this and my, my opponent, I should say, did this. My opponent did that. Fair enough. It's an election. But we're weaponizing what we all should agree on, which is we should make sure we do everything to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. And I don't know that we've done enough of that. I think it's gotten to be way too political that as soon as you bring up, as soon as I say the words as a Republican, election integrity, half of you out there roll your eyes. It isn't about a stolen election. I've I've been very clear on what I thought about the audit and about the presidential election for Joe Biden. But if you're going to roll your eyes at people that say election integrity now, you've got a candidate in Stacey Abrams in Georgia that still believes she won the governor's race. She won't concede. And you've got Hillary Clinton that said it was stolen from her and she wrote a book about it. And if you say the difference is she conceded, she didn't really concede the race. But then she went out and said it was stolen from her and she wants to make sure. And she actually said very, very recently she made a statement and said, you know, we may never know the truth about 2016. So roll your eyes at her. Call her the tinfoil hat wearer. If you're going to do it to one side, you have to do it to the other. But if we both sides believe at times our elections are so, um, uh, I guess, worrisome, so fragile that they could be hijacked like that, then we should do something to fix it. And we'll see. We'll see if we do. Um, In a moment, we are going to talk about accusations of sabotage for the Nord Stream pipelines. Why would the Russians sabotage the pipeline? And did they? And what the EU is saying they are going to do in retribution. Could this lead to an uprising of conflict? We're going to get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. Easy to do on any device you have. Never miss a minute of the show again. And a thank you to the sponsors this week, King Lasik and K2 Vision RLE, the best vision for the Valley. Schedule your virtual consult at KingK2Vision.com. Um, this song reminds me, by the way, did you see the Coolio died? How sad. 59 years old. That, what, a, what a shame. Um... So we have so much to talk about today. I don't want to get distracted with that. Uh, there was the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. German authorities now say that it's been sabotaged, and they they fear German officials fear that it will be permanently unusable. Unusable following this, the Russians say that the fact that them the accusation that they 
sabotage this is absurd. Well, oil prices have dropped, and so Russia doesn't have the money or the income that it had before. It's struggling in this war with Ukraine. They are annexing, or they say they are annexing parts of Ukraine that goes against what the world wants. The EU is saying that there is going to be repercussions for this damage that was done to this Nord Stream pipelines. And so what happens next? And this is going to be – this is where um, I'm a little bit – where it's it's not cut cut and dry. It's not black and white. When it comes to foreign policy – We have to have a say in some of this. And a lot of people say, no, we don't. We should stay out of it. But if we stay out of it, others don't. China gets involved. Russia gets involved. We should have a seat at the table. I do do not want to be the world's police force. I don't think that's the job of the American military. I don't want to see men and women put into harm's way unless it's absolutely necessary for American security. But, but we also have to remember that our closest ally in the world, the European nations, we've got Great Britain, France, our closest allies on the planet. And we do business with Europe. And we are now seeing that they are going to suffer immensely. Their prices are already going up, a shortage of fuel oil and things that they need to get through the winter. They're going to be rationing things. And now this is happening. If Russia is sabotaging the Nord Stream pipelines, there needs to be worldwide intervention. There has to be something that the world does. And if China is helping behind this, these are all of the things that um, world leaders have to deal with. And, you know, my I don't want to be a a neocon in the sense that I don't think that we should be going into countries and spreading freedom, but we should be supporting those that want to be free. We've talked recently about what's happening with the Iranians and the protests in the streets. And it's different. I mean, you know, I don't know what assumptions you make when you hear about protests around the world. But if we assume that a nation like Iran treats protests the way the United States treats protests, you're absolutely wrong. They are a theocracy. They run. They rule with an iron fist uh, protesting in the streets because a young woman was killed at the hands of the morality police. She wasn't covering her face and her hair enough. She was taken into custody and ended up dead. Young people in Iran are clamoring for a a more Western lifestyle. They want to get rid of a dress code. Can you imagine being told? And everyone, ladies, even if you're not, but ladies uh, for a moment, imagine being told by the government, cover your face, cover your hair, or the morality police are going to come and take you to prison. Living under that kind of oppression where women have classically and historically been treated as property, it is a foreign idea to most Americans. Most Americans can't wrap their arms around actually feeling like women are property, and that's how it's taught or or that's how it – yeah, that's how they are. Um, When the former president of Iran uh, was at the UN in New York and he spoke, I believe he spoke to Columbia University. It might not have been Columbia, but it was a, a, a university and said there are no gay people in Iran. The college students in America laughed at him, laughed in his face, and he was dead serious. Well, it's because they kill gay people there. They murder them for being gay. So we have to realize what goes on around the world um, and, and how we ha- can influence it. Here's an example. A top Cuban diplomat says we will have to negotiate with the United States. So um, there was a rift. If you remember going back, and I, I, 
I don't agree politically with a lot of what the Obama, most of what the Obama administration did and some of the things they didn't do. But one of my biggest disagreements with the Obama administration was what they did with Cuba, normalizing relations with the Cuban government and stopping the wet foot, dry foot rule. I thought it was a disastrous policy. The Trump administration reversed it. So the communists in Cuba are upset that they're eventually going to have to deal with the U.S. because of our economic power and our proximity to them. But we still hold, we as a nation, hold a lot of power in the world by virtue of the size of our economy. But why would we as a nation normalize relations with a country that still treats their people the way the Cuban government treats their people? You know, I can go straight into the socialism, communism, communism argument and say, why is it that people are trying to escape from Cuba to the U.S. and not the other way around if their way of government and health care and everything else is a great thing? But that's an easy road to travel. Instead, what I will say to you is the Cubans I know that are American citizens, the Cubans that have come here to enjoy the American way of life, the people that I know are the ones that are the most adamant supporters of freedom, especially the First Amendment. Ask somebody from Cuba about the brown shirts and how when you speak out even in your own home amongst your friends and you speak out against the government, you actually are reeducated. They'll come and get you. And reeducate you. And here in America, we want this uh, uh, information board, whatever it's called, to make sure that there's no disinformation getting out there so that you're not being, and I'm doing the air quotes thing, lied to online. It's for your own good. We want you only to hear the truth. So we're going to make sure that we uh, put uh, caveats and we put, uh, we push down and we eliminate and we have someone in the government that makes sure you're being told the truth. Every Cuban I know hears that and thinks, oh my gosh, I, I left that island to get away from stuff like that. Never mind the prosperity, just the freedom of speech, the ability to speak my mind when I want to speak up against a politician, uh, against a political decision. I don't want to be reeducated. I don't want to be told I'm a liar. I don't want to be kicked off social media. I don't want the government saying I'm part of a disinformation campaign. We got to look at the direction we're going and we got to learn lessons from other places. If we don't, we are going to fail and we're going to repeat those bad things. It's going to happen. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, is Phoenix one of the top 10 fastest slowing real estate markets? If it is, why is it and how is it going to affect you? That's what we're going to talk about at the beginning of the next hour.